the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday. The 28th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. The United States economy has just posted its second consecutive quarter of negative growth, otherwise known as retraction rather than expansion. The Not retraction, I beg your pardon, contraction. The U.S. economy has contracted or shrunken for the second consecutive quarter. Under any other time or at any other time and under any other circumstances in American history, since the definition of the term was was made clear, this would be called a recession. The United States economy is in recession. It is shrinking. It is contracting. It is, it is not expanding. It is not growing. It is literally getting smaller. The GDP, the gross domestic product, is not increasing. It is decreasing at an annual rate of 0.9% in the first quarter of 2022. This is the second consecutive quarter that this has been the case. 
The GDP fell by 1.4% last quarter, so we now have two consecutive negative growth quarters that would be called a recession. But of course, these aren't normal times. These are times in which, well, the Democrats are in power. And as such, they cannot take ownership and blame for being in a recession. So clearly, we have to redefine the word recession. That's the only way this can possibly work. We can't take the blame for guiding what was a thriving economy and record low unemployment and uh, record low energy uh, prices. Well, not record low. Let me rephrase. Record energy output. We were net exporters of energy for the first time in American history. We were completely energy independent, needed no one else around the world. All of those things are what Joe Biden, let's go Brandon, inherited, and he has guided us to record high inflation, record high gas prices, 40-year high overall CPI inflation, um, an invisible border, and worse. And they can't acknowledge or admit those things because it's going to lead to what we all know is going to happen in November, and that is the end of their power. So they have to redefine the word recession. Recession apparently now means strong economy. According to the left, according to the Brandon administration, according to his acolytes and water carriers in the, um, uh, in the national media, what it means to have two consecutive negative quarters of, or, uh, quarters of negative growth or contraction, that means it's a super strong All economy. Signs are that this is a strong economy, and the probability of a recession within the next year is not particularly elevated. It's a strong economy, and, and nothing about it suggests that it's, that it's close to or vulnerable to a recession. I don't expect a recession. No, no one is predicting a recession now. We are not expecting that we are already in the recession. In fact, the guts and the bones of this economy remain strong. These are not the marks of an economy in recession. Right now, we don't see a recession. Right now, that is not. We're not in a recession right now. This is not an economy that's in recession. Not only is a recession not inevitable, but I think that a lot of people are underestimating those strengths and the resilience of the American economy. We have a strong labor market, which you don't. <laughs> normally see in a recession. A recession is broad-based weakness in the economy. We're not seeing that now. In your view, is a recession in the United States inevitable? No. Typically, economists date a recession as being at least two quarters of negative growth uh, and other com- and other factors, which we have not seen at all. The idea that uh, two quarters of negative GDP growth is a technical definition of a recession is wrong. A common definition of recession is two negative quarters of GDP growth. Two quarters of negative growth in a row, that's a recession. Right, and certainly the, in terms of the technical definition, it's not a recession. The technical definition considers a much broader spectrum uh, of data points. <laughs> what is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't def- I'm not going to define it from here. How worried should Americans be that we could be in a recession? We're not going to be in a recession. Nobody, including, especially the White House and especially Joe Biden, is going to sugarcoat any of this. Well, I'm, I, I'm not concerned about a recession. And, I mean, you're always concerned about uh, a recession. 
U.S. real gross domestic product decreased at an annual rate of 0.9% in the second quarter of 2022, according to this morning's data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, underperforming the expectations of economists surveyed by Bloomberg that the economy would grow by a modest 0.4% in the second quarter. GDP fell by 1.4% in the first quarter, and many economists and commentators define a recession. In fact, all economists have made this the technical definition of recession as two quarters consecutively of negative GDP growth. The Brandon administration in full spin mode this morning. At the end of the day, the average American family has been going through economic pain for the last 18 months. Paychecks are going out the door faster than they're coming in because of inflation. Credit card debt is getting more expensive to service. Regular folks can't can't afford a home. Excuse me. Gas and grocery prices are going up. In my opinion, if you go out and talk to the regular Americans, it is so blatantly obvious the economy is contracting. That was E.J. Anthony, um, research fellow for the regional regional economics at the Heritage Foundation. So actually wasn't the, uh, the Biden administration, but they are in full spin mode because they have to try to counter that. They have to counter, they have to counter that reality. The reality that inflation is at a 40-year high, that energy costs are at an all-time high. The fact that the American people are suffering from wage stagnation, even though the unemployment rate is solid, wages are not coming anywhere near. If you got a 2-3% uh, wage increase this year for your, for your job, which you know a lot of people do, a lot of people don't, it is being swallowed up by three times that much, four times that much in some cases, Uh, 9.1% consumer price index hike. We are all suffering more under something called Bidenomics. Bidenomics teaches us that if you raise taxes on enough businesses, if you harm enough of the job creators and the economy growers with reckless and ridiculous policies, all intended to please your gangrene overlords, then you can truly and successfully cripple an economy. That's what we've learned from Bidenomics. And that's exactly what they're doing. And now they're getting ready to double down on it because they've pulled in the holdout. They have managed to crack Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. They managed to make him cave, to buckle, to break. He was the only Democrat being reasonable and responsible in the entirety of the United States Senate, saying, no, I'm not going to agree to a massive spending deal that is going to raise taxes during a recession, all to please the energy lords that want to, the green energy lords that want to kill his state, who want to kill coal mining in the state of West Virginia, among other places. No, I'm not going to be for that. Well, he has caved, he has crumbled, and of course, I'd like to say that it's a shock. It's really not, but I was very hopeful. I was very encouraged by some of the things that Manchin has been saying, uh, but I knew he wasn't going to be there for us all the way through. You knew he was not going to be there, and I don't know if they enticed him with something that's a sweet little carrot to make him change his mind, to to uh, agree on a uh, slimmed-down version of Build Back Better that they are now calling uh, some kind of uh, an Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. I don't know if they enticed him or if they threatened him. Lord only knows what they've got on him, because Lord only knows what Democrats, dirty, deceptive Democrats, are prepared to do to advance their agenda. 
But Joe uh, Joe Manchin now has uh, come to an agreement with Chuck Schumer, and they will get something to Joe Biden to sign that would be one of the most fundamental, categorical mistakes in the history of economics. Everybody knows this. You don't raise taxes during a recession. And now we have an official recession. And that's the other reason, by the way. You tie those two stories together, my friends, and what do you have? You have the Democrats desperate, and I mean truly desperate, as our lives are on the line, and politically they are for them. Our political lives are on the line if we don't have a massive legislative win to show the American people by November. We have to have a huge victory to show them we're getting things done. Look at us. That's what this was all about. We have to have a massive win. And that means we have to pass some kind of a version of Build Back Better and show that people that we are doing something legislatively to deal with inflation. So in order to make this happen, we have to bring Joe Manchin on board because he wasn't on board with uh, with Build Back Better. So we have to raise taxes in this bill, but people will say you can't because economists have always known you don't raise taxes during a recession. Even prominent Democrats have said that. On numerous occasions, you can't raise taxes during a recession. But we need this bill passed. We need this legislative win. So how do we handle that? Well, here's how we handle it. We deny the existence of the recession. We change the definition of recession. We say that two negative quarters of growth or two quarters of negative growth is not a recession. There are a whole bunch of other factors that have to be considered in. Never mind the fact that every other time there have been two negative quarters of growth back-to-back, consecutive quarters, we have called it a recession because there's never been any reason not to. That's the fact. That's the reality of the of an economy, of the American economy. We have always done that. And despite the fact that if Donald Trump was president and we had two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP growth, we would hang him by the proverbial yard arm. That's what we would do and claim this mismanager of of the American economy just crippled American businesses and jobs and so forth. That's what they would say. So that's the reality of a recession. We have to deny the existence and the reality of a recession so that we can then pass this piece of legislation, which is a must-pass victory, a must-get victory by November in order to show the people before we go into break that we did something and are doing something about inflation and to hold those who aren't paying their fair share accountable. We're raising taxes on corporations, and yes, we're going to do something about this really hot weather. We're going to pass a Green New Deal light uh, package here in the middle of a non-recession. See, it's not a recession. It's not a recession. So we can do this, and this is what uh, they are they are hoping is going to save their bacon in November. So, yeah, all that happened this morning. I had to just dive right into it because it has had me fired up for the last half hour plus until when we officially got the number at 830, uh, that we were indeed in another negative GDP growth uh, quarter. Uh, so I had to get all of that out there. And now I will ask you as we head to our first break. Now I will ask you to stand and join me in our Pledge of Allegiance, as we always do, to start every program. A little late today, but this is uh, just the way that it had to go. Uh, Patriots, go ahead and face your flag if you have one. If you do not have one, that is all right. If you're driving, don't try to stand. It doesn't work. I've tried. Just put your hand on your heart and join us for a pledge. If you are a believer in taking more away from the people, if you are a believer in lying 
about climate change and mankind affecting what is happening to a planet that has frozen and melted and frozen and melted and frozen and melted countless numbers of times in its billions of years of existence. If you believe in all of that and want to rob the American people because of it, well, then you don't believe in the liberty that that flag represents anyway. Go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We got a big show lined up for you. I'll tell you who's coming, who's on the air this morning, and who's not. That's next, AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-five. Always Right Radio is online at alwaysright.us. Make sure you check it out. Got the new stories up there today. Of course, we do this each and every. In fact, multiple times a day, I update the uh, top stories of the day. I try to just collect uh, the the best and most important stories that are in the news. Um, I try to do that uh, so that you don't have to hunt around to five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten different websites. I try to pull the best things from all of the most important websites that do provide us with actual news and not fake news, the kind you are going to get at the network sites and on the left-wing sites, the mainstream media sites. So check it out. Like I said, lead story right now, the U.S. economy post consecutive quarter, a second consecutive quarter of negative growth. That's called a recession. Right next to that one, you'll find a story on uh, Joe Manchin reviving Biden's agenda and agreeing to a Democrat package of tax and spend. Tax and spend hikes and uh, about what? About half a trillion dollars, I think it is, on, uh, on climate issues. It is simply unconscionable, uh, but it, it shouldn't be considered, uh, you know, that much of a shock. Like, like I said two years ago, after uh, we had the election stolen from us and we knew the Democrats were going to have full power of both chambers of Congress and the White House, I said, we just have to hold fast, continue to tread water, and hope that somebody like Joe Manchin doesn't cave in on the worst uh, of the ideas that the liberal Democrats have. Hope he doesn't cave in on things like the ab- abolition of the filibuster. Hope he doesn't cave in on uh, packing the court, these kinds of things. And so far, so good. I mean, you know, we, I knew, as I said, he, he's not going to be perfect. He's not a conservative. He's not a conservative Republican. He's still going to be loyal to his party. He's still going to be loyal to his, um, uh, you know, to, to an extent to his base. But because he is in kind of a purplish West Virginia state where he's a Republican, or excuse me, a Democrat in, in more of a kind of a, you know, Republican, like I said, I call it purple, but it, but it leans a little bit more red than it does blue. But you know he had to be he had to be consistent and he had to be uh, faithful to the people who gave him his job. Um, but sometimes you know he's going to let you down, and this is one of those times. In recent weeks, Manchin was shooting down Democrat attempts to push through the Build Back Better uh, broke system. Uh, Bernie Sanders literally went on national television and said that he is intentionally sabotaging the president's agenda. Um, and, you know, Manchin just said, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. Does anybody here think it's a good idea to raise taxes and to pass these things in, uh, you know, in a recession, in a, in a recessive period? Uh, does anybody here think that inflation isn't the number one issue that are facing Americans, including my constituents in West Virginia? I'm not going to make inflation worse by passing something like this. And this was literally a week, two weeks ago. And now, 
apparently somebody got to him. I don't know how. I don't know. Did they just appeal to his, you know, his judgment and, and convince him? Or did they use something to entice or cajole him? Or did they use something to threaten him? I don't even know. But what I do know is it is quite an interesting flip. This bill proposes to increase taxes on billion-dollar companies, spend which, you know, you might say, good, those billion-dollar, you know, well, guess what? Those are the employers. Those are the job creators. Those are the people that keep America humming because they keep people working. It spends uh, $369 billion on climate and energy, so a little less than half a, half a trillion, I, I said, uh, on climate and energy programs. It extends health care subsidies for the Affordable Care Act for three more years. But Manchin told Democratic leaders he would unequivocally refuse to support legislation related to climate change and tax increases. This is literally as recently as a week or two ago. And now he says, uh, no, this tax and spend package will actually help fight inflation. Quote, we must be honest about the economic reality America now faces if we want to avoid fanning the flames of inflation. At its core, the purpose of reconciliation is to get our economic and financial house in order. Contrary to foolish talk otherwise, America cannot spend its way out of debt or out of inflation. And yet this is a tax and spend measure. The revival of Biden's agenda comes as the president has faced mounting criticism from his own party for failing to implement significant policy over his first year and a half in office. Democrats will use this budget reconciliation process to bypass the Senate filibuster and advance the bill along party lines. The Democrats, of course, have 50 votes. They just need Kamala Harris to stop embarrassing herself for two seconds and cast a tie-breaking vote, and this will become law. And the left will have this big win that, they're to, that they want to use to try to change the minds of... Um, uh, voters coming up this uh, this November. All right, coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk uh, with Jack Boyle, who is a state central committee candidate in District 18. You know, this election is already underway. Early voting has uh, been here for a bit now. We're less than two weeks away from the official election on August 2nd. And Jack's got some, some news on some more chicanery from the repugnant leadership of the Ohio Republican Party. And yes, that means you, Bob Paduchik, you big craven coward. Jack Boyle will tell us what we're talking about there. Then at 1010, Dr. Everett Piper, planet over people. He's right. That's what the left does. They covet the planet over the people who are supposed to be living on it. And then at 1110, we'll go back to uh, uh, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, the uh, book by Stephen Mosher. Stephen Mosher is going to tell us about this latest uh, boondoggle, if you will, the declaration of the monkeypox uh, virus as some sort of an international emergency. And we'll also talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci and everything he's done wrong on uh, on COVID. So uh, Jack Boyle, Dr. Everett Piper, and Steve Mosher, our guests, stay here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always Right Radio on air on AM 1420, The Answer, online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. All right, so let's, uh, let's dive into some Ohio politics now. We'll back off of uh, Biden and, uh, and Manchin and Schumer and the rest of that nonsense for at least a few minutes. 
Talk about the uh, ongoing race right now. Literally, it's, uh, you know, the polls are open. You can go vote early at your board of elections, or you can wait until August 2nd. It's the second of the two Ohio primaries that was forced because of the ridiculous uh, incompetence of the Ohio Supreme Court, and particularly, or in, in particular, the Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, and uh, screwing around with the lines and not accepting perfectly constitutional acceptable lines. So we had to spread these things out, and now we have Ohio uh, Senate races, and we have state central committee races for the two parties coming up on August 2nd. So this is an interesting thing. There's a, there's a little postcard that has been sent around. It was uh, sent to me. To people in uh, uh, in a couple of districts, but in particular in District 18, uh, and this postcard is apparently coming from, if I understand it correctly, uh, some of the supporters of and maybe those working and associated with the chairman of the ORP, Bob Paduchik, and the postcards say conservative Republicans Dan Carter and Terry Sean doubling down to defend Ohio. It's a big promotional card for these two candidates for the... Um, uh, for the State Central Committee. Dan Carter is already there. By the way, it reads, Dan Carter and Terry Sean are pro-Trump conservatives who are dedicated to protecting Ohio's values and traditions. Vote Dan Carter and Terry Sean for Republican State Central Committee. Primary election, Tuesday, August 2nd. And that's kind of interesting, um, because it really makes it look like Dan and Terry are teaming up. They're partnering together. They endorse one another. They support one another. But I found out yesterday that that might not necessarily be true, and that a little bit of fraud might be uh, taking place here. And uh, the individual I'm joining by now is running against Dan Carter in District 18 for that uh, for a spot in the Ohio State Central Committee for the Republican Party, Jack Boyle. Jack joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to shed some light on this interesting development. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Good morning, uh, Bob. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, too. So, Jack, you and I spoke I uh, what three weeks ago, month ago, something like that. Uh, we <laughs> spoke like after that, you, yeah. yeah, after you got a phone call from the chairman of the ORP demanding that you withdraw your your um, uh, candidacy for the state central committee because you know you're going up against a, an incumbent. And I, we told this story on the air. You told the story on the air, and he demanded that you pull yourself out of this race because you don't challenge an incumbent. The incumbent happens to be Dan Carter, who happens to be one of Bob Paduchek's most loyal uh, supporters within the ORP. Um, and so we know that they don't like you being in this race. And I know that uh, this postcard is intended to generate some support for Dan Carter but, Carter, but that's not where the story ends. Can you tell us more about this? Well, yes, indeed. The, the interesting thing about this, and there's been a lot of uh, kind of attention focused on my contest with, with Dan. Okay, mm-hmm. again, Dan is uh, one of the key supporters uh, of, uh, of Bob Paduchik on this on the committee, and uh uh, I, again, I've been, I, I have actually been on the committee, uh, previously and been pretty well known in the district and that, and, uh, you know, this is a pretty, I think, competitive race. Uh, you know, I, I have, uh, uh, you know, some real, uh, opportunity here to, uh, to win this race. Uh, I don't think the chairman would have bothered calling me and, you know, kind of. <laughs> You're very well known and respected uh, all throughout Northeast Ohio and probably beyond uh, as a very strong supporter of the Republican Party and of the state of Ohio. So you're right. There's a reason why he contacted you and asked you to drop, because you're going to be a big thorn yeah. in the side of the of the chairman uh, if you end up unseating Dan Carter. But continue, yeah. please. But 
one thing that that has received less attention is the race for the female spot, for the woman's spot in the same district, in this mm-hmm. 18th district. And the incumbent uh, in you know this district is a, a lady named Denise Verdi. Denise has been on the, the uh, committee for 10 years and is a great conservative. In fact, she was one of the five state central committee members uh, in the lawsuit that was filed against uh, uh, Bapaduchik and Dave Johnson. And, uh, you know, she's been a leader in trying to, um, you know, get some transparency, if you will, uh, uh, which is a kind of a foreign concept for the, uh, the Ohio Republican Party. Uh, uh, you know, we <laughs> actually talked overdue. this morning about uh, the, this, uh, this, you know, they keep saying, Dan keeps saying and others that, oh, there's, a, there's a, an audit going on right now. And it's like, well, okay, they ordered it last fall. I don't know how long an audit takes. But apparently it's being done by an accounting company over in Indianapolis that does not do audits. If you call them and ask them, they'll tell you that. <laughs> so, you know, this is all kabuki theater when it comes down to it. And you know, as I've said in things, uh, uh, you know, in different events and whatever, okay, even if, you know, if there is one, great. I can't wait to see it. But what happened to last year's audit? And the year before that, and the year before that, the bylaws required one every year. So, but in any case, Denise... Is the, is the incumbent and is running for re-election. And uh, Terry Sean, who's on this postcard, is uh, uh, also running. Now, Terry, uh, both Denise and Terry are good friends. Terry uh, is on the board of the Cuyahoga Valley Republicans in Brexville, as am I. Okay, we're colleagues there. Uh, when she and I both filed to run for the state central committee, we were on the second set of maps, and we were in the 27th district, and we were they were open seats. So, yeah, it wasn't like... Uh, uh, you know, I decided to run against Dan, or Terry decided to run against Denise. We were, we thought we were running. Well, not we thought we were running in open seats. Okay, then of course all the which is what you pointed uh, out. Uh, I'm sorry, Jack. Uh, which is what yeah. you pointed out to Bob Paduchik when he called and tried to strong arm you and intimidate you out of running. Now that you are not in this in an open open seat district. Absolutely, absolutely. But. Um, in any case, though, you know, the, the maps changed, and we, we now are in contested seats. And the interesting thing here is that, uh, again, Terry is a great conservative. Uh, she would be a great member of the uh, Census Committee if, if she were to be elected. Again, I, I, I think that Denise, being a 10-year incumbent and yeah, you'll, you're well-known up in Lake County, whatever, is more likely to be successful. Mm-hmm. But the question is, you know, trying to understand what this postcard is doing. Um, Terry knew nothing about it. Her her name and her picture were used without her uh, knowledge or permission. Uh, the implication, as you know, you read the thing that she and Dan are kind of running as a team, is a complete falsehood. It is exactly the opposite of the truth. Um, and in fact, why Terry is that? Has, why is that, uh, Jack? How, how do how do we know that that's the case? Well, because Terry said so. She sent emails. The CVR has sent emails. Uh, to their, you know, list, trying to correct the impression, the false impression that this postcard um, implies. And Terry says, no, she does not uh, support Dan. She supports the endorsed candidate in this race. And by that, she means the candidate that's been endorsed by the Cuyahoga Valley Republicans organization and by the Cuyahoga County Republican Party. That candidate is me, uh, not Dan. And so, uh, and again, there's been, um, uh, you know, some email blasts to that effect. 
The trouble is, um, again, you know, in kind of the lead up to this, you were saying that this is a, a product of the of the Ohio Republican Party, and it's hard not to suspect that they're back in there somewhere. Okay, but uh, uh, I can't fathom that they they actually are doing it directly uh, with all the problems Bob Paducic has already with uh, supporting you know candidates that haven't been endorsed and that kind of thing. Uh, no one has been endorsed by the ORP in any state central committee race this time. And uh, this is coming from an anonymous post office box in Columbus. And actually, there are five or six races around the state who have very, very similar postcards, uh, you know, coming again from this same or very similar post office box in Columbus. And, uh, it, you know, our friend Shannon Burns has... Uh, a, a similar campaign against him, supporting one of his uh, opponents from this same, you know, anonymous post office box. Um, and, the, you know, they all say the same thing. It says nothing about what's going on with the Ohio Republican Party. It is all just, you know, sort of a boilerplate uh, Trump, uh, you know, Democrats yeah, that are terrible yeah. and, you know, this kind of thing. So, um, but the bottom line is, um, you know, the point of this, and, and to my knowledge, my race is the only one where they have, again, falsely used, you know, another candidate, uh, implying exactly the opposite of where she stands, implying that she supports, you know, Dan my Park. opponent. Right. Um, I, hey, hey, Jack, to my knowledge, Jack, you, the only one. And I'm, I'm sorry, when, I just wanted to know if you've reason. spoken to Jack about, or have you spoken to a Dan about this? Has he, has he mentioned have, anything about these cards? He said, I know nothing about it. I had nothing to do with it. I have no knowledge whatsoever. And he, it may be true, okay? Um, it's, you know, it's hard to su- not to suspect a little bit, but we, you, know, when, you know, when the brain trust, whatever that is, in Columbus decides to do something, they just do it, okay? Right. So maybe Dan knew about it, maybe he didn't. I don't know. He says he, do- he didn't know about it, and I take him at his word, okay? I'm not going to, you know, I mean, there's no there's no way of, Figuring out, you know, to the contrary. Anyway, you, you've you've known um, him a little bit, right? You you've known Dan for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do yeah. you think that when Paducic made his phone call to you to try to talk you out of running against Dan Carter and talked about this incumbent, this this good Republican uh, that you're going to try to remove here, do you think that he made that call to you with Dan's knowledge or without? Do you think Dan would have approved well, of that? Well, yeah. I, I you, let me say this again. I'm I, I can't speak for Dan. You know, again, I, know, I have no answer. I, I know you know him well, and, and, and I know you know him yeah. well. And I'm just curious to because because I I mean I don't know him at all. Um, but okay. based on everything that you have discussed and we have discussed and things that I've learned about, you know, how important he is to Bob Paducic's power and his agenda, um, I, I'm just wondering if Paducic would do this without Dan's knowledge and if he would do a phone call without Dan's knowledge trying to talk Jack Boyle out of running in this race. Um, I wonder if, if Bob Paducic would, uh, you know, greenlight uh, an ad campaign like this also without Dan's permission. And yeah. you say Dan has hey. denied any knowledge of this whatsoever. That's correct. Now, you know, um, my perception of, you know, the way the State Senate Committee has run under Chairman Paducic, but <laughs> is that the chairman expects the you know members of the committee to be good soldiers and to do what he tells them to do. OK, Dan has certainly, from my perception, been that kind of a, of a member in supporting 
you know, uh, Papaduchik. And so whether Dan had an opinion or not, I'm not sure that that would really get into the thought processes of the people, you know, making the decision and deciding to do this. I would be surprised if uh, Dan didn't know about the phone call, or at least about the possibility of the phone call. And w- w- the reason I say that is um, it was almost unprecedented uh, earlier in the year when the Central Committee did not endorse themselves. It's the first time that I've ever heard of that. They, did, they didn't endorse it, and the table talk was because Papaduchik didn't want to endorse people like Mark Bainbridge and Shannon Burns and, you know, Denise Verdi and Rosenberger and, you know, some of the, the people that have been his uh, antagonists on the committee. And, in other uh, words, people who support. In other words, people who support reforming the ORP and actually correct, making correct. transparency yeah. a requirement, rather than the you know cloak uh, cloakroom type of uh, politics that they've engaged in. Yeah, it, but I've also heard, and this not about Dan, but about some other Paduchik supporters, were so mad when they didn't get endorsed that they dropped out and decided if you can't, if you're not going to support us, we're done. And. Uh, uh, now, again, so it may have been that Dan was just as mad, too, although he didn't drop out. And he, you know, when uh, so, I mean, a logical possible course of action would be, all right, Dan, I'll call Jack and get him to drop out. And when Jack refused to, then it was like, OK, we're going to have to support you somehow. Now, whether that actually took place, that kind of communication took place or not, I have no idea. OK, um, but the thought process probably did whether the communication did or not. OK. But but there's one more twist to this, okay? Oh and uh, it makes this particularly uh, toxic, is I think the way I'm going to call it. Um, again, there were five members of the Central Committee that were on the lawsuit, okay? Two of them, uh, Mark Bainbridge and uh, I think it's Joanne Campbell, are not running for re-election, okay? Two others, uh, Laura Rosenberger and Joe Miller, are running unopposed. It's just sort of, it was the the lottery of the way the maps ended up. So the only, the fifth member of that group that is, uh, uh, you know, running for re-election is Denise Verdi. And Denise is the only person that has, you know, of the five, an opponent. And so whether, you know, they even know who Terry is, if they could knock Denise off, it would be, you know, I, I think perceived as a you know an accomplishment, as a yeah. you know a scalp, a victory. Okay, right. and so right. part of this is you know my race with Dan, but part of it also is to the extent that they could uh, uh, you know undercut uh, Denise's reelection or reelection campaign. I think they'd be they'd be happy to do it. So the idea that they would uh, publish postcards that are completely false. You know, doesn't bother them. The thing that's that's I've found frustrating. You know, there so far since last Monday, there have been five of them in my district. Okay, uh, and you know, the election is uh, is next Tuesday, so it's coming. But I bet we're not done. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a, another postcard or two before it's all over. Um, the, no, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised either, Jack, and, yeah. uh, and we're going to have to wrap it here, but um, I just want okay. people to understand this. Um, <clears throat> this is the kind of dirty politics 
that that have so many of us completely disenchanted with the Ohio Republican Party. We call ourselves Republicans so we can vote in primaries, but in reality, this isn't the kind of Republican Party I want to belong to. I want to belong to a conservative Republican Party, not a group of Republicans who act, govern, campaign, and cheat like Democrats. And that's exactly what is happening here. And I want to be very, very clear. I am not stating for the record that this postcard or these series of postcards have been produced by or at the direction of Bob Paduchik and ORP leadership. But it is my suspicion, and it is based on the phone call that he made to try to run Jack Boyle out of this election. And now he is trying to support Dan Carter with fraud by suggesting that Terry Sean also supports Dan Carter against Jack Boyle by putting them together on this card. Terry Sean has, in fact, endorsed the endorsed candidate in the uh, Cuyahoga Valley Republicans and in the Cuyahoga County Republican Party, Jack Boyle. So this is the kind of dirty stuff that has so Uh, many of us wanting the Republican Party to change its leadership. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. Just to be sure that we're precise about our language, it's hard not to suspect that all of that is true, although because of who's who's benefiting and who isn't, who stands to benefit. But we have no no knowledge, directly or indirectly, that that, that actually has happened. Okay. No, that's exactly, yeah, I was trying to make that language clear as well. I am not yeah. accusing or saying this is a result yeah, of, fair enough. but this is my suspicion, and it's based on all of these this evidence that you can put together. So having said all of that, I want to remind everybody who is a Republican in the state of Ohio, anybody within the sound of my voice who cares about the leadership of this party, and it's massively important, especially when you look at what the ORP did with Mike DeWine and uh, putting their thumb or their fist on the scales in that uh, uh, gubernatorial primary. It's so important, the leadership here. If you want to reform the Ohio Republican Party and boot corrupt people out of it and make changes where you have actual people who are committed to transparency and, yes, budgetary audits on an annual basis and not questions of where $3 million here are or $330,000 there are, then you're going to want to vote for these reform candidates. And I'm telling you where to find them right now. I have put this list up on my webpage at at, uh, alwaysright.us. You can also find it on Shannon's page shannonburns.gop scroll down about two thirds of the way down the home page and you'll see team Ohio candidates and right there this Senate District 18 you'll find the name of Jack Boyle he is among those that we support I will say I personally support and I think anybody who is a believer in uh, transparency and as I say reform of this very very uh, rudderless party uh, I think people need to take a look at those names. A lot of people don't know who to vote for in these um, in these state central committee races. This is a terrific guide of people that you can and should support in your districts. And uh, Jack Boyle, we'll leave it there for now. But I pre- if there's more chicanery and any more of this nonsense that happens between now and August second, please let us know because I want to I want to shine a, a white hot bright spotlight on this thing. Okay. I, I will indeed. Thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you, Jack Boyle. Jack's doing it right. Jack's doing it right. Denise Verdi is doing it right, the uh, female in 18. Terry is doing it right, too. She didn't ask to be included on this card. She's sending out emails telling everybody, hey, I didn't do this. I don't support Dan Carter. I had nothing to do with this. So somebody is just playing dirty, tricky, Democrat-type politics. I'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. 
Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Good Thursday to you. It is uh, the 28th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Going to talk to uh, Stephen Mosier. Uh, about the uh, about the latest on Dr. Fraudchi, who has announced he is uh, going to be resigning or retiring, rather, by the end of Biden's term. It cannot come soon enough. Stephen Mosier has chronicled the top five mistakes uh, that uh, Dr. Fauci has made in the COVID pandemic. He is the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We're going to talk to Steve Mosier coming up at the top of the next hour. For this hour, though, it's Thursday, and you know what that means. It's time to talk to the good doctor, Dr. Everett Piper, who is, of course, a best-selling author, his most famous book. Uh, how long has it been now? I ask him this from time to time. I'll have to ask him again in a moment. Uh, uh, not a daycare. Uh, started out as an article and turned into a book, turned into a follow-up sequel to that book. It is extraordinarily successful. He is also a, a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He and he's a podcast radio host in Oklahoma. His podcast is called The Rebellion. You should seek it out. And most importantly to us, he's our regular Thursday commentary on the culture war, com- commentator rather on the culture wars. Doctor Piper, good morning. How long has it been since uh, since uh, Not a Daycare came out? I forget. Uh, the original story broke in on Thanksgiving week of uh, 2015, so it's been a few years. Hasn't it's been years now. Wow. And I always I ask you that about every four or five months, and it still blows me away that it's been six, seven years now since you actually wrote that original uh, article and then uh, and then wrote the book, because uh, it's so incredibly important. More so now than it was at the time you wrote it. You know, you wrote yeah. it to your you wrote it to your snowflakes uh, uh, students who were whining about every little microaggression at Oklahoma Wesley, and and it has only gotten worse. The whining and the complaining and the crying about you know uh, how I'm perceived, about my identity, about my pronouns. I mean, you probably you probably thought that maybe you could nip this in the bud, but uh, not so much. Uh, I don't know whether I thought I could nip it in the bud or not, but uh, I would say this that it has. We've doubled down on dumb. The lunacy is is just incredible. I mean, stop and think about it. We now have a Supreme Court justice who can't define what a woman is because to do so would be offensive. It would it would be a trigger uh, of emotional discomfort and, and turmoil within the soul of these poor individuals who don't understand what biology and physiology is any longer. And for anybody to say that in the classroom or on a college campus, oh, my goodness, can you imagine? They'd be fired. They'd be censored. They'd be canceled. Uh, they'd be deplatformed immediately if you even suggested that there's such a thing as biology and physiology and that men are real and so are women and never the twain should meet. And for a man to jump into the fray and pretend to be a woman is somehow uh, a good thing. That's a good thing today. And to say otherwise, oh, my land, you know, the floodgates of turmoil and, and uh, leftist revolt would, would just break, break loose if that happened today. Well, you're exactly right. It has gotten so much worse. Uh, and, and what I meant, of course, by nip it in the bud, you know, the, the message you gave was so clear and concise about trying to tell kids this is not how the world operates. This isn't how it's going to be for you. You're going to have to figure out that you're not a child. You have to learn how to adult. You have to learn how to accept and that you might be offended by something and it doesn't have to ruin your day or your life and you don't have to demand recompense from somebody who did the offending. That's not how this works. I had hoped that that message might have stopped some of the insanity and instead uh, it has just simply grown, uh, as you said, we've doubled down on stupid, uh, and it's a crying shame. All right, having said all of that, Dr. Piper, let's get into this week's article in the Washington Times, The Church of Gaia Elevating the Planet Over People. 
such an important message, especially today, as we just found out that Senator Joe Manchin caved. He's going he's gonna to sign off on, with the rest of the Democrats, a nearly half trillion dollars uh, toward uh, green energy and toward putting you know, the environment uh, over the people who are supposed to be enjoying the environment that God gave to all of us, gifted to all of us. Um, and it's a shame you got some great examples there of people who don't seem to understand that people are actually supposed to come over planet. But uh, take it from there. Well, you know, you could argue that there are two or three world religions today that are predominant, and it's not Christianity, it's not Islam, um, it's not Buddhism or Hinduism. The predominant world religions, in the mind of the Western world anyway, the United States, Canada, the European countries, even Australia, New Zealand, is... I would argue, Gnosticism and Gaiism. What's Gnosticism and Gaiism? Gnosticism is, is uh, Gnosis. It's special knowledge, and that your feelings trump the facts. Gnosticism also denies the importance of the body. The body doesn't matter anymore because you're smarter than physical reality. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like we've got a revival of ancient Gnosticism today, where our feelings trump the facts and opinions matter more than reality? Um, we're going to affirm people in their delusions because their bodies don't matter. In fact, you gave me a story we could talk about perhaps later in the show, which is the epitome of that. But we also have uh, Gaiaism. Well, Gaia is the Greek goddess of nature. And that rise of elevating the planet over people, we're worshiping Mother Earth. The Romans called it Terra Mater. Terra Mater, Mother Earth. So Gaia the Greek goddess of nature, Mother Nature, Terra Mater, we're worshiping Earth right now at the expense of people. And we see it in spades in these stupid World Economic Forum decisions where, like in Sri Lanka, I think we talked about it last week perhaps, Sri Lanka, they have imposed an organic farming rule on the entire culture, and therefore farmers can't buy fertilizer for their fields. And what has the result been? They've got a 54% inflation rate in Sri Lanka right now. 80% of the fields are lying fallow. They used to export rice and grain to other countries. Now they're have to, having to import it from countries like China and Russia. And they're really engaged in clean farming, aren't they? So the craziness of elevating the planet over people results in stupid decisions. And the, and, and the pendulum continues to swing on this lunacy to the point where even in the Netherlands, we talked about that too, where they provide a disproportionate amount of beef and pork and chicken for the European continent. And now their farmers are being told that they have to decrease their cattle population by 30% by 2030. Now, how are you going to do that? You're going to have to kill hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cows in order to get that done. Why? because of cow flatulence. That's why they have to decrease their population of cattle. You you know, you have to wonder if these people think that it was a good thing to have 60 million buffalo roaming the Great Plains back in the 1800s. Do they think it was, was was that good or was that bad? Was it a good thing that we basically drove the American bison into almost extinction? Well, I guess so, because we can't have those buffalo running around uh, passing gas all the time, could we? It might cause the oceans to rise and the tides to go untended, and Al Gore could lose his oceanfront home in Montecito, California. I mean, this is the craziness of this worship of Gaia, this worship of the planet, rather than elevating people in the proper place, as God put us, the Imago Dei, the image of God, to husband and steward the environment, not worship it. 
You know, the Sri Lanka story to me that you uh, recounted in your piece is, is so telling and it's so, you know, this is, this is the model, I suppose. You know, people think, what would happen if we did this, that, and the other thing in terms of trying to uh, protect the environment and to stop the emission of fossil, or of, uh, excuse me, of uh, uh, carbon dioxide and so on and so forth? And, and the answer is right there. We have a model. We don't have to wonder how would it work? What would happen? People will starve to death. That's how it would work. People would starve to death. Uh, uh, the economies would crumble. Inflation would double, triple, quadruple. Well, what were the numbers? 300% uh, for for food, clothing, transportation, electricity in Sri Lanka since April. Yeah. Dr. Piper, it's only been, what, 16, 15, 16 months since they, since yeah. they implemented those rules. And, and we're watching this experiment in climate change action crumble before our very eyes, and people still want to do it here. Yeah. And, and you know what? We've been talking about this. I had a professor from the University of New Hampshire on my campus when I was president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. We brought him in as a guest speaker. His name's Dr. David Legate, and he came in to talk about climate change, global warming, what we used to call weather, by the way. And he said, well, sure, if you look at the patterns over the course of history, the Earth warms, the Earth cools, we have various different weather patterns. We have times of flood, we have times of drought. He said, but the question is, not whether or not it's happening. The question is, what causes it? And he put a graph up on the screen. The graph, of, the graph was of sunspot activity, solar flares. They increase, they de- decrease in a cyclical way. And then he put a secondary graph over to the top of that one, and it was a direct, almost identical comparison. Um, and you know what the second graph was? Earth temperatures. Huh. Do you think maybe the sun is causing this rather than you and me or cows or buffalo? And yet we've got these arrogant people like John Kerry and Joe Biden and AOC and Pelosi and Schumer who think that we are so powerful and grand and glorious that, as Barack Obama said in one of his inaugural addresses, we can stem the ocean's tide by being wiser and more powerful than God himself. The... I'm looking for the word chutzpah. It doesn't even cover it. The, I mean, the, just the... The brazenness of such things to think that we can stop that which God created and we can control that which God created is, 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 it's staggering. And, and what's equally staggering and for me, Dr. Piper, equally disconcerting and troubling is the fact that they think that if we, one country, do, does this or can, will do this, that we can totally change the climate of the planet. As if our 330 million people, if we did some sort of massive crackdown on carbon dioxide emissions, which we'll never do, by the way, because those who are driving it, this, this movement, are the worst offenders. They're the ones who fly private. They're the ones who have more carbon output because of their multiple homes, their massive homes, than anybody can even imagine. They're the ones who have no earthly idea where electricity comes from when they put, try to put us into millions of electric cars. They have no idea that electricity comes from coal and from natural gas. These people are the worst um, spokespersons for this movement. But even so, if we did all of that, they seem to think that we can control the climate of the planet from our little tiny spot on it when the worst polluters in the world on this planet, China and India, double down on all of it and say, we're, 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 I think China just signed a new agreement to, to produce uh, like two or three or four more times more coal than they have been producing in China. So the idea that we are going to change things here um, for the for the betterment you know of the entire globe when the rest of the globe isn't doing anything to help is just it's just lunacy. 
It is, and our enemies laugh at us. They literally laugh at us. Like you just said, China, and then we have Russia, and we have Iran and Iraq. We have, we have supposed friends like Saudi Arabia and whatnot. These people are laughing at us. Why? Because they understand that if we defund our energy sources, if we stop using our economic power to exploit our own natural resources for our own security and our own gain, guess what? They'll be able to sell us the stuff at a higher price, and they'll be able to control us with their boot on our neck because we won't have any independence any longer. I mean, under the Trump administration, we had uh, energy independence. We were self-sustaining, essentially. We were exporting oil and natural gas. And now we have Joe Biden over there begging those of our enemies to give us more. What sense does this make? It's not going to clean up the planet. It just makes us subservient to those people that want to control us. Exactly right. Very well said. Dr. Piper, we went a little long there. Let's take our break here at 1022. We're going to come back. We've got a couple of other quick issues to get into, perhaps the one that we talked about, which is just one of the most uh, uh, senseless and disgusting stories that you're ever going to see. Uh, but we're also going to talk about one of the more disgusting things that ever has ever been promoted by, uh, by the, the American left. We are talking about cannibalism. We'll let Dr. Piper explain that next on the M1420 DS. Okay, 1025. I really only have time for one of the two stories here to go with uh, Dr. Piper. So I think we're going to have to, um, for the temp- time being anyway, uh, we'll have to ignore the black alien. And uh, that is not a racial uh, statement, by the way. He calls himself a black alien. That's how he identifies. He has had his body tattooed and deformed and, def- and dis- disfigured, all to make himself look like the identity that he believes he carries, and that is that of a quote-unquote black alien. It's a story that is... You have to see to believe. Instead, we'll talk about another one that you don't want to believe. Netizens took to social media on Saturday to express their disgust and their confusion after the New York Times published an article on the subject of cannibalism. The article titled, A Taste for Cannibalism. And it provides readers with an insight into the growing popularity of cannibalism in pop culture, especially in books, TV shows, and movies. Dr. Piper, I, I don't have a whole lot of words that I can say on the radio for this. Maybe you do. Well, it, 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 this belongs in the category of, oh, that'll never happen. Okay? <laughs> you have a lot of things in that category. <laughs> yes, we do. In fact, maybe we should do a series on that. You know, that'll never happen. I mean, 10, well, you know, you years know what ago, I think you have here, Doctor Piper. I think you have the makings that? of. A, I think you have the makings of another book here. That's what I, things that will never probably. happen. I mean, you could probably, I'm not kidding you, you could probably, uh, with your ability to compose, I think you could put something together. But anyway, tell, tell us about this one. Okay, this is a story that the New York Times put out. And as you, as you described the title, it's a taste for cannibalism. And then it says within the article, I believe it's the opening sentence, cannibalism has a time and a place. And then they go on to share their story. Now, in fairness to the New York Times, they're not promoting cannibalism, but they're the ones that chose the title, and they did it for a reason. They did it for clickbait. They wanted to catch the attention of the reader and suggest that there's a taste for cannibalism and that it has a time and a place. That's their language. Well, what are they talking about? They share story after story about movies and TV shows and books that are being published, etc., that are about cannibalism and how there's this rise Uh, within the American psyche and the Western psyche to read this garbage and to watch it and to listen to songs, music, and to engage in uh, entertainment that's about cannibalism. 
Now, I would argue that this does fit into the category of that will never happen because when you start softening the conversation by talking about and thinking about and actually debating the very concept of the aberrant, sooner or later that aberrant stuff becomes the norm. It becomes something that you actually start embracing. And that's why I said this belongs in the category of that will never happen, because we would have said the same thing about women losing their restrooms 10, 15 years ago. Well, that'll never happen. We would have said the same thing about women going in and getting their breasts removed and getting their uteruses removed because of hysterectomies and mastectomies because they think they're men. We would have said the same thing about a discussion of dumbing down the age of consent between adults and children. We would have said that it's completely crazy to entertain the idea that a minor of 12, maybe even 10 years of age, can declare themselves to be a different gender and therefore start to engage in um, transition therapy. We would have said that it was nuts to think that a baby could be executed two seconds before it's born and that the American public would raise its hand and say, well, we think that's a moral choice. When you start dumbing down the discussion of deviancy, sooner or later, the aberrant becomes acceptable. And I would argue that's what's going on with this New York Times article. And and then I'll say this. Uh, The the, the error here is in the comprehensive worldview. We have bought the lie that the human being is no more significant than a dog, a pig, a cat, or cow. Radical Darwinism has been embraced for generations within our culture to the extent where we don't think that we have any significance, moral significance, over and above any other biological form of life. Therefore, why should we consider the human body to be anything special? You can butcher it if you want to pretend you're something you're not. You can pretend you're a dragon. You can pretend that you're an alien. You can pretend that you're a female when you're a male. You can pretend it's Gnosticism to the extreme. The body doesn't matter. Well, when the body doesn't matter and you're not, and you're not distinct from the animal, then you're going to start having aberrant discussions about, well, what's the difference in terms of a cow and a human being? And you get into these issues of cannibalism. And the New York Times is leading the way on this right now. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right. Just just chalk that up to things we said would never happen, and 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 they're happening with with much more frequency now. It's really a bizarre thing to think that this can hit mainstream, and for as as um, you know, left wing and as as niche as they actually are, the New York Times is still considered mainstream because of its its reach and its circulation. The, the idea that this would be, and you're right, it's clickbait first and foremost. It's all about getting more views. It's all, all all about getting more traffic in order to increase their profits. But the idea that this would be promoted in such a way, or 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 romanticized in such a way, or popularized in such a way, just speaks to where where we are in this uh, in this culture. But that's why we continue to fight the culture wars, and that's why we talk each and every week with Dr. Everett Piper. Think about the book, Dr. Piper. might be interesting. You, 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 uh, in, the, in the few years we've been doing this together, uh, th- there have been many times you have said, well, I'm going to file this one under things we said would never happen. Uh, and and I, I think if you probably start collecting them, you're going to have the makings of a pretty decent book. Just uh, Co-authorship, you and me together. Uh, you know, I would be honored. I would be honored. Dr. Piper, thanks very much. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, let's go back. 1031, time out, news time. We got uh, half an hour open for phone calls now before our next guest, Dr. St- or, excuse me, Stephen W. Mosher, coming up at uh, 1110. So if you want to get in on these stories and more, 216 901 888 281 1110. 
We'd love to hear from you on Always Right Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always Right Radio indeed. Appreciate you being with us this morning. It is 1039. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. If you have not yet checked out the webpage at Always Right Radio, or excuse me, alwaysright.us. Trending now on alwaysright.us. Yeah, let's run down it a little bit. Lead story of the day, U.S. economy posting its second consecutive quarter of negative growth. That would mean a recession, no matter how much the left chooses to deny that definition. Joe Manchin caved, collapsed, gave in, crumbled. He revived the Biden agenda, agrees to a Democrat package of tax increases and climate change spending. Monkeypox, according to NBC News, which is citing several studies, is being driven overwhelmingly by sex between men. This according to major studies. This is something that the World Health Organization does not want you to know, as they call this a global health emergency. Perhaps only for the part of the globe that is men having sex with multiple men. Texas won a massive case. Against school mask mandates, Governor Greg Abbott won in a federal court. There was a challenge to his ban on school mask mandates. That's huge for free speech. Groomers at work in Portland. The sexual revolution there starts in kindergarten. That's a City Journal and a Christopher Rufo story you have to read. It's too long for me to describe for you, but it's disturbing. And it's happening. if it's happening there, it's coming to yours next. Clarence Thomas will not teach at George Washington University this fall after protests over his decisions uh, and his part in the Roe versus Wade overturn. Self-cancellation, not something I would have thought Clarence Thomas ever would have given into. Ted Cruz, I promise you, whatever state you're living in, you're living in a border state. He is shining a huge bright spotlight on the narco slave trade because of our, our uh, invisible southern border. CNN poll, 75% of Democrat voters want someone other than Biden in 2024. Did you catch that? 75% don't want him again. That's pretty amazing. A libs of TikTok story, kindergartners being taught, quote, whites make it harder for black people. Yeah, that will go great in fostering a wonderful relationship between white kids and black kids. Unbelievable. There's a story on Jack Windsor's Ohio Press Network on what social-emotional learning really is and what it's doing to our children and how we can stop it. Those are the lead stories right now on Always Right Radio. We update those every day, multiple times a day, so make sure you check those out online at alwaysright.us. All right, let's go to Navy man Norm Cullen from Strongsville. Hey, Norm, you're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Bob, um, about three years ago, you had Peter Kersenow on your show, and he nailed it. He said at the time, there's going to be a time soon, coming soon, that uh, NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, is going to get their way, and they're going to want to legitimize sex between young boys and men. And that day's here. I mean, we are, we are living in a product of depravity, uh, deviancy, you name it. Uh, I just read where our wonderful State Department, Bob, paid $11,000 last September 
to fund a film glorifying pedophilia and incest for part of a Portuguese uh, LGBTQ film festival. And it was done through the uh, U.S. Embassy in Lisbon, Portugal. And this film fest, I checked it out, was called Lisbonia. And uh, when they were contacted, the State Department, I've already put in a Freedom of Information request. I want to know who authorized it. Who is the deviant, depraved individual in our State Department that authorized the payment of 11000 taxpayer dollars to come up with a movie celebrating pedophilia and incest? This is where this country is at today, thanks to this regime. Bob, I, I'm telling you, I think you nailed it when you said, I don't want to associate with these people. I know what the good book says about love your neighbor, but these aren't my neighbors. These people are not my neighbors. These people are demonic. They want to tear our country apart, and they're doing a hell of a good job if we let them. They are. So, I, uh, Bob, I, I'll tell you, <laughs> my back is up, and uh, <laughs> I already told the priest... <laughs> When I went to confession, I said, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but uh, turning the other cheek doesn't do any good in this day and age. And basically, he agreed with me. He you know, said, well, and, you gotta- and, and, and the, the, thing, the thing about, you know, love your neighbor, and, you know, if your neighbor strikes you or if your enemy or somebody strikes you in your cheek, you turn and show them the and, other one and all that other stuff. Um, okay, if it's me. I I might be able to deal with that. I might be able to, you know, withhold my desire for vengeance, withhold my desire to strike back. I might be able to do that. But what we're talking about and the reason I have said and the reason why a lot of other people have talked about whether or not, you know, it's time for a national divorce where we literally say we are not the same country as the people who are who are destroying this one. Um, it's because of the kids. And I know that's what you're talking about when you talk about NAMBLA and you talk about the victimization of little children, the sexualization and victimization of kids. And that's where I can't just say, well, everybody has their own opinion and I'm going to still love my neighbor as I would myself and, and so on and so forth. There, there comes a point where you have to stand up for the defenseless. And the defenseless, generally speaking, are our preborn kids and then, of course, our, uh, our, 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 our actual kids. And, um, uh, and, yeah, and that's, well, that's when you I have that thing, I can't tolerate it. Dr. Rachel Levine uh, masquerading as a woman and insisting that the schools talk about puberty blockers and the other depraved <clears throat> nonsense that these people come up with, you know, it's time to fight back. And I mean, with everything at our resource, whether it's school board meetings, uh, whether it's with the politicians and hold their feet to the fire and say, what are you going to do about it? And please don't pay lip service. And please don't tell us you're going to hold a hearing. Excuse me, that's bovine excrement, you know? <clears throat> yeah, and no, it, it is It is all of that, Norm. And, 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 the, the, and thank you for the call, my friend. The, um, the, the, the operative word here, I think, is, is normalization. They're trying to normalize what used to be condemned universally as deviant, predatory behavior. It is deviant, it is predatory, it does victimize and abuse children, this kind of behavior. And they are trying to normalize it. That's what NAMBLA is all about. And that's what the LGBTQ movement writ large is all about now as well. Sexualizing children, 
telling them about sex, telling them about self-love, telling them about uh, personal identities, uh, trying to tell them they can indeed be uh, something that they're not, and so on and so forth. And it's all about normalizing you know, all of what, what used to be referred to as deviancy. Now, critics will listen to you and me talking right now and tell us, well, you're trying to chase gay people back into the closet. And and do you know how many people used to commit suicide because they're gay and they didn't know how to handle it and blah, blah, blah? And no, we're not. I'm not trying to do that anybody, any, at, at all. What I am trying to say is, and I've said multiple times, I've been very, very clear on this. If you're gay, bully for you. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to condemn you, and I'm not going to celebrate you. Do your thing and do whatever you want to do, but do not ask me to participate in your parade, and do not ask me to to normalize uh, you trying to turn children into an alternative lifestyle at the same time. But the gay movement is long passe, long considered passe. Now it is about the whole trans movement and the identity movement, and this directly involves the recruiting and the grooming of children. And that is something that I cannot just stand by and, and, and say we, we have to abide. We need to call out deviancy for what it is, and we need to call out psychological delusion for what it is. We also need to recognize the difference between psychological delusions and actual mental infirmities like gender dysphoria. That is a mental-slash-psychological condition. Gender dysphoria, very, 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 very few people actually have it, where they really, truly believe that their body doesn't match their their mind. Their body doesn't match their mind, or their mind doesn't match their body. That is a very unusual condition. It's about as rare as, you know, uh, split personalities or multiple personality disorder. People think they're three or four different people. It is extremely rare. The others are the attention-getters, the attention-starved. These are people who want to be taken in. They want to be welcomed into something that makes them feel special and unique. And you know what? Look at all of these people saying, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. Look at all these people saying, I'm neither one. I'm two-spirit. I'm this, I'm that. It's a trendy movement that has been going on for a while and is probably going to carry on for a while before it self-destructs. And it will only self-destruct if we put enough pressure on it and call it what it is. Attention-getting normalization of deviancy and predatory behavior. That's what it is. Here's an example of how they're trying to normalize it. I have an NBC News story up in front of me right now, headlined, Monkeypox is being driven overwhelmingly by sex between men. Major study finds. Of the 528 confirmed cases reviewed, 95% are believed to have transmitted during sex between men. This according to a new paper in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is pretty much one of the standards of scientific journals. The global monkeypox outbreak is primarily being driven between sex between men. The outbreak, which epidemiologists initially, I believe initially began in mid-spring gatherings of gay and bisexual men in Europe, has since alarmed world uh, uh, such experts by ballooning to nearly, nearly 16,000 cases worldwide. This is why I've gone on the air numerous times and said this is an STD. This is not a global health emergency, not unless the globe is a globe full of men having gay sex with other men. Otherwise, just understand and accept this is an STD. This is a sexually transmitted STD, or uh, disease rather. Uh, it is, it is, an, is a gay STD. 
And that's just the reality. Science says so. But the next story that I have up in front of me is about the WHO. World Health Organization director calls on social media and new outlet news outlets to regulate monkeypox disinformation. Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus, or whatever, I don't care about his last name, to be quite honest with you, declared the virus to be a public health emergency of international concern. And he is now calling for uh, the regulation of social media so that people don't call it what it is, a gay sex STD, because of the stigma that is associated with it. Quote, the stigma and discrimination can be just as dangerous as any virus and can fuel the outbreak. As we have seen with COVID-19, misinformation and disinformation can spread rapidly online. So we call on social media platforms, tech companies, and news organizations to work with us to prevent and counter harmful information. They're literally worried about the stigma because this is a gay sex disease. And they don't want people to call it a gay sex disease because that might make people think a little bit less of rampant gay sex orgies being, uh, being held in Europe and then spread around the world. Well, we don't want people to think negatively of people having gay sex orgies, so we don't talk about this, and we don't want it being spread, because the stigma will be there, and people being stigmatized will feel bad about themselves, and we don't want that. How about you call for an end to gay sex orgies in Europe? How about you ask millions of people to stay six feet away from one another for two years? Yes, millions and millions of people to stay in their home and not go out unless their job was an essential one. Yes, people to give up their jobs. Yes, students to give up their, their educations. All to stop one viral outbreak. You can't ask gay men to stop having gay sex with one another in, in, in open places and in, in orgy situations for the purpose of, I don't know, containing monkeypox? Because you don't want to hurt gay sex or gay gay uh, uh, men's feelings. Let me tell you what you can do with your feelings. If you're engaging in an activity that can spread a very dangerous viral condition to non-gay people by touching them with your open source, then you better stop getting those those sores. You better stop having these relations that are causing you to get this terrible disease. I don't care about your feelings. I care about people's lives. I care about people's health. And the World Health Organization is more concerned about the stigma associated with where this is coming from. They don't want anybody on social media to be able to talk about it. New York's Department of Health, New York City's Department of Health, wrote a letter to the WHO director, Tedros, saying that the city has once again found itself as the epicenter of a contagious disease after it has surpassed 1,000 confirmed cases of monkeypox. They also expressed worry about the effect the name monkeypox can have on vulnerable communities, quote, given the stigma it may engender and the painful racist history within which terminology like this is rooted for communities of color. Are you kidding me? They worry more about how the, 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 those engaging in wild uh, multiple partner gay sex feel about the, ter- about the um, stigma of, of, uh, of this gay STD and about the, the name of it than they are about the actual health of people who might be victimized by it. 
without engaging in such behaviors. And by the way, what does this say about those calling for a change to the name of monkeypox? What does this say about them and their abject, blatant racism? Because if the name monkeypox is given to a disease and somebody automatically thinks about communities of color, then that somebody is the one thinking in racist terms. It's just that simple. It is absolutely ridiculous. This is not a worldwide pandemic. This is a gay STD. If you're not engaging in gay sex, and if those who do engage in gay sex would dial it back a little bit for a few months like the rest of the world had to dial back normalized behavior, then maybe we wouldn't have this problem at all. 1055, Always Right Radio, right back. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine minutes after 11 o'clock, hour number three underway on this Thursday, the 28th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Getting closer and closer and closer to taking the power back, taking the power away from those who wish to destroy this country and who are doing one bang-up job of doing it. As we move into hour number three, we want to talk about one of the methods by which this country is being destroyed, uh, and that is its continued propaganda, or the propaganda being pushed, rather, by our leaders uh, over COVID-19. Omicron came and went, and now it's BS4 and BS5. I think they call it BA4 and BA5, but I like to be accurate. And that, of course, can be referred to as the midterm variant. Uh, they are working very, very hard to make you afraid, to make you believe that massive numbers of infections are coming, even though there are no hospitalizations attached to it, even though there are no deaths being attached to it. But there's another big wave of cases coming, and it just might be a little bit too unsafe for us to gather in congreg- congregated areas, you know, places like voting voting uh, precincts, ballot, bo- ballot uh, boxes, the polls. Uh, so I think a lot of us can can point to that with some confidence. Um One thing that we can't be very confident about is the advice that we get from people like Dr. Anthony Fauci. Because if you recall, um, Dr. Anthony Fauci was one of many who said things like this. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. Once people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to be infected. Joe Biden was vaccinated not once but twice. Boosted not once but twice more. And still got COVID. 
So did Justin Trudeau. So did a whole bunch of other world leaders. Um, Dr. Fauci has no idea what he's talking about. Was that one of his worst mistakes, one of the top five mistakes that uh, Dr. Fauci made when it comes to COVID? Let's ask Stephen Mosher, who just wrote a piece about that very question. He is also the author of a book recently released. We talked to him a few weeks back, actually just a couple of weeks ago. It's called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. His latest op-ed in the New York Post reminds us of the five worst mistakes that Ant- or that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci made on COVID that have spelled disaster for so many. Stephen W. Mosher, president of the Population Research Institute. Good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Well, good morning. I'm fine, Bob, and it really... Uh... Warm my heart to hear Ronald Reagan again. I wrote a couple of speeches for him after he left office in the early nineties. Uh, he was he was a great one. We play him at the top of we we play him at the top of every hour of this broadcast. We have a little clip of Ronald Reagan because <laughs> I, I don't think we can remind ourselves enough of uh, that great American and the great good that he did for this country. And uh, yeah. So, and then we have people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, who seem to be working on the other side of uh, good and truth and, and beauty and, and all that we cherish in this country. Uh, you know, it was really hard to write an article about his five fatal errors, uh, because the number of fatal errors doesn't stop at five. It's more like 10 or 15. But, you know, I, I had to whittle it down because you're limited in space when you write an article. So I identified, you know, one of them was contact tracing. Uh, failing to protect the vulnerable was another. Closing the schools was a big one. Mistakes on natural immunity. But I think his his primary error, the, the big one, was funding Chinese labs. That was his original sin, the original pandemic sin, because what did that do? That gave the Chinese Communist Party's bioweapons experts access to cutting-edge genomics technology that enabled them to stitch together the coronavirus in the lab and release it on the world uh, without funding, uh, without the technical expertise uh, from Fauci's labs in the United States. You know, he trained the woman in charge of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Dr. Shi Zhang Li was trained at a Fauci-funded lab at the University of North Carolina, run by Rob Barrick. She was also trained at the University of Texas Galveston Labs. So she learned her trade here and went back to China, and even then was receiving indirectly funding through EcoHealth Alliance and, and Richard Dezek and those people, uh, after gain-of-function research was banned in the United States, uh, Fauci decided to, uh, to offshore it to China, of all places. So um, he, may, he may have been thinking about doing, you know, noble scientific research, advancing the frontiers of human knowledge, but I guarantee you that the PLA bioweapons experts saw this thing and said, they're going to, the Americans are going to, going to pay us and teach us how to create dangerous coronaviruses in the lab how stupid can they be those americans um we're talking to stephen w mosher uh author and uh and uh columnist and uh, writer and um you anticipated my next question which was going to be what did he think he was funding what was his goal <laughs> through all of this did he know that he was going to be funding something that could be so dangerous or did he have as you say noble goals here um do you believe that his his you know his intentions were nefarious from the beginning, or did he just have to cover himself after he realized what was being done? Well, I think there's a lot going on in Anthony Fauci's mind that we may never know. But what we do know is this: that he was absolutely obsessed with gain of function research, and he started doing it, started funding it uh, 15 years ago. And people began to say, "Wait a minute, Tony, 
Uh, you know, your idea of creating monster viruses in the lab that are highly infectious and deadly and then using those to create vaccines against them with the idea that one day you're going to prevent a pandemic, uh, maybe that's not such a bright idea because what happens if your monster virus escapes from the lab? So he was writing in the pages of the New York Post in 2010, articles defending gain-of-function research. And finally, it was called to a halt in the United States in 2017. Moratorium on gain-of-function research. All right? And what did he do? He apparently went through EcoHealth Alliance and other groups to labs in different parts of the world, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, to continue this research. So was he just, uh, was it a single-minded obsession to do gain-of-function research? Um, we, we know, I mean, I know very clearly what was in the minds of PLA bioweapons experts because they told us. Uh, they told us back in 2017, the head of the PLA bioweapons program, General uh, Major General Chunwei, gave a secret speech in which he said that uh, first you have the spear before you can develop the shield. And the spear was the coronavirus. They were talking about weaponizing coronaviruses after the SARS-1 epidemic in 2003 because that was the coronavirus. That was the snake coronavirus. And they thought, wow, this thing is infectious. It's deadly. We can use that to make a weapon. It's in their strategic literature. I can read, write, and speak Chinese. They talk openly about weaponizing coronaviruses. They're easy to manipulate because it's only a single strand, uh, not a double strand of DNA. And uh, and they were doing just that. There's a whole paper trail of articles published by Dr. Shu Zhang Li, the head of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and other PLA bioweapons experts. Sometimes those articles are actually published with people like uh, Richard Dazek of Equal Health Alliance or Ralph Berrick of the University of North Carolina. And what they were doing was working slowly and steadily using gain-of-function research to make deadly coronaviruses. And, of course, they weren't publishing all their research. They were only publishing the part they wanted us to know about. And there was secret research being done by the uh, bioweapons experts in the PLA all the time. The backbone of the coronavirus that we've been living through pandemic hell with for the last two and a half years was actually a coronavirus isolated by the People's Liberation Army, registered by the People's Liberation Army. Uh, it doesn't get clearer than that, Bob. We're talking to Stephen W. Mosher, the president of the Population Research Institute, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Um, I want to talk about some of the other fatal errors that Fauci made in responding to all of this, but just the last one on the lab. Everyone has an opinion as to whether or not it was inadvertently leaked from the lab, it escaped from the lab, or it was released upon the world as a bioweapon. Which side of that are you on? Well, I'm on, I'm on both sides. <laughs> I'm on both, <laughs> let me explain. I'm on both sides because what happened was, remember, you first you have the spear, then you can develop the shield. They had the spear, the coronavirus, in 2018, 2019, and they were working on a vaccine. Now, they, they weren't foolish enough to use the mRNA vaccine, uh, that that we have seen in this country. They used attenuated vaccines, weakened versions of the real virus to create an immune response in the human body. And I believe that during vaccine trials uh, in late 2019, that virus escaped, as sometimes happens, you know, when you have a, a, a vaccine that's not perfect. Sometimes you get the actual disease. That's what happened. It spread rapidly uh, through the population of Wuhan. And at that point, Knowing that they had an epidemic on their hands of their own making, they deliberately spread it around the world. They stopped planes from Wuhan from flying to Beijing and Canton and Shanghai and other Chinese cities, but they let planes go to New York, to Milan, Italy, to Madrid, Spain, and other 
uh, what later became COVID hotspots. They deliberately spread the disease around the world, sort of using like using human disease vectors to do it. Now, I'm not blaming the individual Chinese who were infected. They're victims of the Communist Party's bioweapons program as well. But the Communist Party knew exactly what it was doing in spreading the pandemic around, around the world. They've done it before. They did it in 1958 with the Asian flu. They did it in 1968 with the Hong Kong flu. They tried to do it in 2002, 2003 with the first uh, uh, SARS-1 uh, coronavirus uh, epidemic. Fortunately, Canadian intelligence detected that there was a dangerous epidemic brewing in China, and we called China to account for it before it could really spread and kill a million or two million people in 2003. And you know what China said in 2003 when, when we pointed out there was a dangerous epidemic happening in China? Uh, they said, a foreign agent has released a bioweapon on the Chinese people. Does that sound familiar? That it was sure 2003. Wow. The same thing they said in, two, in 2020. So we've seen this playbook before. The 58 Asian flu originated in Guizhou province in southwest China. They hid it from the world until it became a global pandemic, killing over a million people. In 1968, the Hong Kong flu originated in China. People in Hong Kong were furious at being blamed for, for the Hong Kong flu. They knew it had come from, from mainland China, but the, the Chinese Communist Party did not notify the World Health Organization, did not tell the world that it had a dangerous new uh, virus epidemic brewing, and, and it was allowed to spread around the world. If Had they notified us in time, we could have stopped both of those pandemics from, from, from ever starting. That's why I call China the great breeding ground of pandemics. And, of course, you can't say that, though, because that would mean that you are being racist against uh, Asian people in America who are going to be suffering no, uh, no, attacks I'm, from people. I, no, I, and, of course, I say that I say that tongue-in-cheek because that's what they say. Yeah. They say. You can't identify the Chinese role in all of this. You certainly can't talk about the history. You can't talk about 2003. You can't talk about 1958 or anything else. If you talk about anything that identifies where this came from, you are being a purveyor of Asian hate and, uh, and leading to violence. And that's one of the other elements of this that is yeah. just so insane. Um, I want to talk about one of the other elements, uh, the, you know, one of the other mistakes, rather, the fatal mistakes that Dr. Fauci made, and that is failing to protect the vulnerable. You, you talk about the uh, great phrasing here, the cascade of corpses in geriatric Italy, while the young merely got the sniffles. Uh, why didn't they focus on protecting the most vulnerable, the age, the, the elderly population, um, number one? And number two, how do you answer their response which has been, we did try to protect the elderly by getting everybody vaccinated so they wouldn't take it and pass it on to their elderly grandparents and so on and so forth, that protecting the whole population did protect the vulnerable. That's what their argument is. Yeah, but that, that latter-day argument came, came after they started backing and filling, after they were criticized for failing right. to protect the vulnerable. Uh, but the, the first mistake, of course, was, was clearly not paying attention to the kind of people who are contracting uh, serious cases of coronavirus being hospitalized and dying from it. And we knew from Milan, Italy, from the experience there, that it was people in their 70s and 80s and the immune compromised that were at risk and that younger people would get, you know, uh, the flu and get over it in a few days. And little kids would get the sniffles and might not even know they had it. So that was obvious from the get-go. Um, the lockdowns, uh, which was a, a fatal error in my view, actually came from from China. And, uh, you know, it's a bad idea to copy anything that China does uh, because the Chinese Communist Party does not have our best interests at heart. 
Mm-hmm. And I believe they carried out a very successful uh, psychological operation on us, a psyop, if you will, because when they first hit the epidemic, remember in Wuhan, they were saying, no, it's just a few cases and there's no human-to-human transmission. They got the World Health Organization to lie for them and say the same thing. And then when it began to spread around the world and the world became uh, a little bit panicked over it, they, the Chinese Communist Party spread fear porn. They put out videos of people dropping dead in the streets of Wuhan. They put out videos of corpses lining up in the hospitals of Wuhan, and they scared people into thinking this is the second coming of the bubonic plague or the Spanish flu. Tens of millions of people are going to die. And then they locked down the city of Wuhan, the province of Hubei, 60 million people under lock and key, and they said that worked. This is key. They said that the lockdowns had worked, that they had reduced the number of infections and deaths to very low levels, and the communist propaganda apparatus at that point was saying was just chortling over the fact that there were more deaths in New York City than there were in all of China. They were actually proud of that fact, of that claimed fact, which I think was fiction. I think more people died of uh, coronavirus in China than any other country in the world by far. I think the, the, the evidence shows that. But think of what happened then. They claimed that lockdowns had worked. Who bought that line, hook, line, and sinker? Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks, two very smart people, as President Trump called them, went to President Trump and said, you know, we have evidence that millions of people are going to die in the United States. Uh, we need to follow China into lockdowns. Uh, that, was, that was a major, a major and fatal error for a lot of people. No question about that. And uh, we're just about out of time here, but I, I want to squeeze a question in for you on monkeypox. Um, Tedros, the uh, director of the um, WHO, I don't even bother with his last name, um, he he is calling this a, a global health crisis or a global health emergency or a health emergency with international implications, however it is he phrased it. And he wants social media to crack down on those who are spreading misinformation or disinformation about it. Meanwhile, a ma- I just saw the, st- the uh, headline uh, on uh, NBC News. A massive study published in the New England Journal of Medicine said that mm-hmm. 95% of the cases of monkeypox that have been uh, that have been diagnosed have have been transmitted during sex between men and much of it started in gay sex orgies in Europe in this massive spring mm-hmm. gathering of gay and bisexual men it sounds to me like this is a this is a gay std yet they are calling it a global virus and a global threat um can it be both of those things uh, no it's not it's it's obviously an std and, and what, what we should be telling uh, people of uh, that orientation is that no one ever died from lack of sex, that you guys ought to back off on the, on the sexual encounters for a while and let the, the monkeypox die out. Now, Tedros Gabrisas, who's not a medical doctor, by the way, so I don't say doctor, not Tedros Gabrisas says that, uh, that uh, monkeypox is a global epidemic, at ignoring ignoring the advice of his own community of experts in doing so. He overrode the commission that was supposed to make that evaluation. So I think in his view, uh, monkeypox is probably spelled M-O-N-E-Y pox. Uh, he's using it as a fundraising device and, and spreading fear porn to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm not real uh, high on the guy because he's a proxy for the Chinese Communist Party. They supported his ascension to head the World Health Organization in uh, 2017. He's their guy. He carried water for them during the opening months of the uh, COVID pandemic, as you remember, uh, saying the same thing um, that that the Chinese Communist Party was saying. 
misleading us about the nature of the virus that we were dealing with. And I think that cost lives as well. I think that's very well said. <clears throat> Stephen W. Mosher, the author of the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, president of the Population Research Institute. His article is up right now on alwayswrite.us, as is a link to that book. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for the time. We always appreciate the insights you bring. Great interview. Thanks. Thank you. God bless. 1127 now. Always Right Radio continues after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always right, radio indeed. Final segment as we take you until about 11.45. Then we let Bill O'Reilly take you home at the noon hour. Lead story of the day, we're officially in a recession. As much as the left doesn't want to admit it, as much as the left, and as a matter of fact, the Biden administration continues to lie about it, that is exactly where we are. Here is CNN. What we do know is that Americans hate this economy, right? The CNN poll out recently found that 64% of Americans believe the U.S. economy is currently in a recession. Now, that may not be the case, but that's what people feel. And that Don't tell is, me how to feel. Is exactly. But that's how people feel. They hate this economy. They hate Bidenomics. They hate the fact that it feels like a recession. And now this morning we found out with the second consecutive quarter of negative GDP growth, it is officially a recession. I think this all comes back to inflation, right? For so many months, people thought inflation would be transitory. Obviously, it wasn't. It keeps going in the wrong direction. When CNN is telling the truth, you know there are problems. And that's why they have to send out people like, well, Brian Deese. Brian Deese, one of the top advisors to the Biden administration, one of the top defenders of Bidenomics, one of the top defenders of Bidenflation, literally said yesterday when they knew what today's report was going to be, two negative quarters of GDP growth, he said this yesterday. Two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. This is the same guy, Brian Deese, in 2008. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally Sorry, I think I jumped uh, relied the gun. on. I jumped the gun on that. And here's, uh, here, uh, I'm sorry, in 2008, I don't have the audio. I just have the, uh, the uh, text. Um, economists have a technical definition of recession, which is two qu- uh, consecutive quarters of negative growth. So that is what he said. This is a transcript of his appearance on a uh, show, a Sunday show in uh, 2008. Economists have a technical definition of recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. That's Brian Deese, 2008, working with and for Hillary Clinton. Then now, uh, or rather uh, now, in uh, this exact moment in time, he says the exact same definition no longer applies. Two negative quarters is not the technical definition of recession. When you can't trust them to just say, you know, the most simple and obvious things, like, yeah, we're in a recession. However, it's not the only indicator. You know, yeah, we know the GDP isn't expanding, but here's what's happening that's good. No, they just deny that it exists. Change the definition of recession, just like you change the definition of woman, change the definition of female, change the definition of border, and all of these things are, are the only way that they can possibly survive politically with the way things are in this country right now. Just lie to the American people and tell them that up is down, black is white, left is right, 
uh, you know, tell them the two plus two is five. And, and look, that's the old paradigm. The two plus two is four. That's old. That's no longer the technical definition of what two plus two is. Two plus two is now five. And the fact that you can't see that just shows how bigoted and racist you are. I mean, it's like we're all Winston Smith. And they're demanding that we see five fingers when all we see is four. BJ in uh, North Olmstead. Hi, BJ. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I'd like to make two points. The one you're talking about politically, another one about our society and uh, the diseases that are going around. Number one, the political system is controlled by one thing, the banks. Look what they, look, look what they did with raising the interest rates on people. The American citizen, if there's a serious recession, these beautiful homes that I see on the west side of Cleveland are going to be lost because people won't be able to come up with the money for their mortgages and their payments. That's a reality that's going to happen and is happening already. It's the banking system that's controlling this government. And the, and those that are behind that system are the ones that have to be made aware of that the American public is fed up with it. Uh, that aside, the other issue I want to bring up, I had mentioned I was a medic in the service. Yes, sir. Contagious diseases were one of the primary things I had to deal with as a medic when I was overseas. Transmittable diseases from men to women and back and forth. The LGBTQ wants to now say they want to legalize relationships with young children and introduce them to the gay attitude. Did we forget what AIDS did and who was transmitting it? One thing about homosexuals, and when I see homosexuals, they're bisexual. They'll sleep with men and women, and they'll transmit these diseases. And all the monkeypox and all the COVID and all these other things, how do you think they're going to be transmitted? By contact with people. And we have to waken up that our society has become more than tolerant. we become stupid to ignoring the reality of this. It's the truth. You go to any emergency room and any military beast, not emergency room, but dispensary in the morning, and you'll find out the GIs that are lined up with them, both men and women, with venereal disease. And venereal disease leads into something else that's even far greater than that. It's the treatments. And what else is transmitted during those kinds of contexts? We're in a very, you younger people are in a very, very serious state of awareness. And if immorality is not going to be part of, or morality is not going to be a part of your life, then you have to deal with the consequences. And I feel badly that this is going on. I deal with senior citizens. I mentioned this in our said They were young hippies in 1960s. Now they're in their 70s and 80s. These are very wise people. And they have very, very strong senses about what's going on in our world. And they're becoming active, particularly the women. And I'm glad to see that. I hope more women do get involved with the honesty and integrity that's going on. And... Well, I love this country, and I love the gift of my of life. But we have to be truthful and more blunt about what's going on. And I appreciate you doing that, Bob. You have been very, very straightforward, and I appreciate it very much. Thank, thank, thank you, you for BJ. your time. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We are out of time, though. Uh, just super, super duper quick response to that. My, my 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 belief in this country is a belief in freedom, and people are free to do what they want, and they are free to be with whom they want. Why I have a problem is when they drag other people into it. And if they harm other people and if they infect other people or they try to recruit other people into something that may not be what they want, that is a big problem. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's say it together. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 